You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We are continuing on our series. This is the third installment. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, this is entitled Perfect Law, Perfect Love. Everybody say Perfect Law and Perfect Love. Can you say Perfect Love? So basically what this means is this perfect law was given to us by a perfect God out of His perfect love for us. It is not meant for us to have more burden in life. And how many of you feel that you have so much stress and burden already? Okay. But yet the Bible says that when you talk about obeying His command, to obey the command of God is not burdensome. Because this is born out of a relationship with Him. In fact, when He gave the Ten Commandments, He did not give the Ten Commandments without any relationship with His people, but He was already taking care of His people. He watched over them uh, in Egypt. He heard their cries. He sent Moses to go back to Egypt, and He showed Himself powerful by providing ten plagues as judgment to uh, the nation of Egypt for making them slaves, and He basically freed them out there and uh, went through the sea of, uh, you know, the Red Sea and through the desert and led them into a mountain called Mount Sinai. And that's exactly where this law was given. In fact, when you talk about the law of God, this is interesting because it's not just about having a law or ordinance or commands, but when you look at the words that was written in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, it says there, These are the words that was given to Moses. It was not specifically said there, these are the commands, but the words. Words can mean promises. It means precepts. It means the covenant relationship of God with His people. In fact, when you look at the Ten Commandments, these are the stipulations of the covenant that He has with this people. In fact, when Jesus was asked uh, by, I think, a lawyer, of course, in the New Testament, uh, he was asked, what's the greatest of all the commandments? There's about 616 or 13 commandments in the Old Testament. And it was summed up in the Ten Commandments. And he summarized it further by giving two. And what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so when you look at the commands, and he was being asked, what's the greatest commandment? His response was what? Love. His, com- his response was, it's not about doing this or doing that, or don't do this or don't do that. It's really about love. Tell the person beside you, I love you. With the love of the Lord. If it's a single person that you're actually with, okay, uh, this is the time. No, no, not really. Okay? But anyway, so it's all born out of love. He gave His commandments because He loved His people. You know, I don't obey God because I'm afraid of Him, but rather I have a relationship with Him. Of course, we're told to have fear of God, but in reality, it's easier to obey someone that you know, isn't it? Children, how many of you know it's easier for you to obey your parents if you have a relationship with them? Amen? You know, in the same way that when my wife would ask me something, okay, it's easier for me to obey her because of my relationship with her. I don't obey her because I'm afraid of her. I'm just scared of her. No, just kidding, okay? 
But the reason why I am obeying her is because of my love for her. It's because there's a mutual trust and a mutual respect. And when I say something to her, the reason why she obeys me and submits to me is because she loves me and not because I, you know, I'm going to punish her or the children. Okay? It's based on love. Are you getting it? So that's exactly why this message has to be clarified because when you talk about Ten Commandments, we repel commandments. How many of you know that change is coming? And nowadays, we heard that in Muntinlupa, the youth, 17 and below, cannot stay out late at night from 10 p.m. onwards. How many of you know that that is good also for the parents? Children, come home to Papa. Okay? It's time for you to be safe in the house. It's time for you to come home. And so these are rules. These are ordinances. I just received a text yesterday that starting yesterday, June 4, it's in effect. Did you know that? If you don't know that, please tell your 17-year-old children or below to stay out of the streets after 10 p.m. But yet, when you talk about the Ten Commandments, it's not burdensome. And so that's really my point. In verse 1 of Exodus chapter 20, and this was just, it's just a review, okay? Uh, we talked about this uh, two weeks ago, and the Lord spoke all these words. And so this is my point. It's not about these commandments. It says here, these are the words that were spoken to us by God. And He said this, I am the Lord your God. And He was establishing His relationship with His people. It's not about, oh, these are the commands I'm giving you. Do this, don't do this. He didn't start off that way. But he said this, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so basically what he's saying is, guys, I've loved you, I've watched over you, I've protected you, I've provided for you. So these are the rules so that you can be provided further and you can be protected further. Are you getting it? It's about a relationship that he has with his people. He didn't start off by saying, okay, curfew every night. Don't go out of your room, okay? You're grounded. You know, without a relationship, how many of you know that our children will rebel? But with a relationship, there's trust that is established there. And then he said the first commandment, you shall have what? No other gods before me. It's very important that we take note of the first commandment. In fact, I don't mind repeating this every Sunday because the first commandment is the first commandment because it is the first commandment according to Martin Luther. Can we say that statement again? One, two, three. The first commandment because it is the first commandment. How many of you got confused already? It's very clear. In fact, it's so simple. The reason why the first commandment is the first commandment because it is the first commandment. But what does that really mean? It means that out of this first commandment, all the other commandments flowed from it. That is so important. In fact, it is impossible for you to break the other commandments without breaking first the first commandment. That's how important it is. It is impossible for us to break, do not commit adultery without first violating this first commandment. Stealing. If you've committed, you know, that crime of stealing, it's because we have broken the first commandment. If we dishonored our father and mother, it was because we have broken first the first commandment, which, which is what? 
do not have any other gods before me. That is so important for us to, to know and to take note because that is the foundation of everything that we're talking about. The second commandment talks about idolatry. Everybody say idolatry. An idol is anything that takes the place of God in our lives. We're familiar with idols. We see graven image. For example, in verse 4, it says, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. So whatever it is that people are drawn to, whatever graven image, whether it's you know, a form of anything above, in heaven above, like angels, or what else? Birds, okay? Anything there, okay? Or on the earth beneath, or on the waters below, even fish, or whatever it is, whatever symbol it is that we tend to worship, that we tend to put our trust in. May it be an amulet. You know, anything that you put your trust in, aside from the name of Jesus, is an idol in our life. Are we getting it? So that's basically what this verse is saying. And then he went on further when he said, You shall not bow down to them or what? Or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And so this is the time when he explained that he does not only feel jealousy, but his name is actually jealous. And I thought, you know, when you talk about jealousy, how many of you know that sometimes, you know, when you talk about jealousy, jealousy is a negative thing. You're not supposed to be jealous with your wife. You're supposed to be trusting her or your husband and vice versa. But yet, when you talk about jealousy in the application of, of God, it really talks about exclusivity and fidelity. Okay? And then he said, punishing the children of the sons of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. In fact, his judgment is only until the third and the fourth generation. And you can see that you know, his loving kindness is extended up to a thousand generations. How many of you know that our God is a great God? I mean, he's got a big capacity to love uh, his people. No matter how you know, unfaithful we are, he will always remain faithful in our lives. So you, know, you talk about idols... It's anything that takes the place of God in our lives. Because ultimately, God should be central in our life. Everybody say central. It's not just about God having the priority or being first. Because how I many of you know that if God is just the first, who can, who's the second? Your wife. Where's God there when you have second priority or third priority, your children, or so on and so, so forth. But I believe in all our priorities, God has to be part of our priorities. God should still be part of our marriage. He should still be part of our children. He should still be part of our careers. He should still be part of our personal lives and our finance and our schedule and our, so on and so forth. In other words, Jesus is hub and He is central and all the spokes of our life emanate from Him and He is the one that holds things together for us. Timothy Keller said this, Worshipping an idol is not just about breaking God's law, it is breaking God's heart. You know, ultimately, when you talk about idolatry, it's converting something that is good, a good thing, into an absolute thing. That is what idolatry is all about. Today, we're going to talk about God's name. And we've sang that song. And how many of you are you know, thankful for the name of Jesus? 
the name that we worship, uh, the name that is above all names. And yet this is part of, this is really the third commandment that the Bible has actually mentioned. I'd like to invite everyone to stand. We're going to be reading one verse only this afternoon from verse 7 of Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. I'll just read it and then you'll follow along with me, okay? Uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the preaching of your word. We ask that you would anoint this pulpit. Thank you, Lord God, for every word I will speak today would be in accordance to your heart and your will. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open up our hearts and our mind to hear what you want to speak to us as a church and as a people. We thank you, Lord. May your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You want to be seated? Really, when you talk about name, what's in a name? How many of you are grateful that you have a name? How many of you are grateful for your name? I was named by my parents, and I asked my dad, you know, why did you call me Ariel? Where did you get the name Ariel? And I don't know if he was joking, but he said to me when I was younger, you know, when you were born in a hospital, actually it's a clinic, and the clinic is called Clinica Areliano. And so we just got the first two syllables of that clinic and gave you that name. Not really sure if it's serious when he said that to me. When I looked at the meaning of my name, I was amazed because it's actually a Hebrew name. It's not the name of a little mermaid. Uh, in Disney, I want to clarify that. Okay, It's a man's name. Okay, How dare them! Make it into a woman's name. Anyway, so Ariel is not a woman's name. It's actually a Hebrew name, uh, meaning uh, Lion of God. Okay? Ari is Lion. El means God. And so Lion of God is really what uh, it means. And so uh, my name is Ariel Jose, and I'm, you know, Joseph. Um, the, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's also a nice name. And so, you know, when you talk about names, I hope that... You, you know, as parents, we are careful to name our children. How many of you are parents here? Okay. How many of you, you know, have named your children personally? It was not the nurse who named the children. Right? Why is that? Why didn't you give the, you know, assignment of naming your children to the doctor? Doc, please do the honor of naming my child. What if he gave him the name Hitler, you know, or whatever, okay? Names are important. You know, names have meanings to us. Names are actually an expression of, you know, like family values or what's important to us. That's why when you talk about names, sometimes names reveal where you come from. For example, you know, when you talk about our family name Marquez, normally Marquez come from Southern Luzon, Batangas or Quezon, okay? And I, you know, I've, I've yet to find out, you know, our, our family tree, okay? Uh, you know, my, one of our pastors is named uh, Ferdinand. And, uh, you know, names also reveal the era that you were born in. And I'm pretty sure that he was born during the martial law. Because his mom and dad gave him the name Ferdinand and his sister is named Imelda. I'm not kidding. Okay, this is re this is real. Okay, and so they came from the north. They come from the solid north. Okay, I did not ask him anymore who he voted for vice president. But anyway, so names are important because they reveal our priorities. They reveal who we are. That's why you know you've gotta be careful 
when you give names to children. You got to study, you know, what that name means. You know, maybe some of us growing up, we were ridiculed by being given names. How many of you were bullied when you were in high school or when you were in the door race right anymore? You've gone through Victory Weekend, right? And we've been called names. You know, sometimes you're called whatever, okay? Uh, panot, potol, you know, kalbo, whatever. Okay? Or, you know, I was called Babalu when I was younger, okay? If I had classmates here, I forgive you, okay? Uh, anyway, that was like the, the, they, they called me that growing up. Maybe because I was skinny. Believe it or not, I was skinny. And, uh, and I had like a long chin. And so, it kind of affected my ego and my self-esteem. And so when you talk about God being so passionate about His name, how many of you know that we can never take the name of the Lord our God in vain? Because names are so important. If people would ridicule your name, you'll get mad. You know, I know of you know, parents who said, you know, you better take care of our name. Because I have taken care of our name. I worked hard to preserve this good name and our integrity. You know, one of our pastors, I'm not going to say his name, his sister was working as a professor in a college university in Manila. And she said that to him, you know, uh, I've worked hard as a teacher and I have a good name in this school. So please take care of my name, which is really our name because, you know, they have the same surnames. Unfortunately, when he was younger, uh, he went and had drugs. He was an alcoholic. He, he called himself as a pharmacist. Okay? <laughs> so if you know him already, <laughs> I gave the clue. Anyway, you know, and, and so names are important. A good name is better than riches. In fact, when you talk about name and naming things, whoever gives the name is the one who has authority over that person. Our parents gave us our name and they have authority over us. We give names to our children and we have authority over them. God gave the name of Adam and he has authority over him, our first parent. And he gave authority to Adam to name the animals because ultimately when you talk about mankind, we have authority over animals. How many of you know that? So if you don't like the name giraffe or butanding or whatever, you, you blame Adam, okay? He was the one who named those animals, okay? And so the first introduction of God's name to Moses was found in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13. And it says here, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, let's read the rest of the scripture. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. In fact, if you look at this particular scripture, and you know, when I was, when I was reading this as a young Christian, I said, I couldn't understand this. Why did God have to introduce himself as I am who I am? Doesn't he have a proper name? You know, why is he saying that he is who he is? Sa Tagalog, ako, si ako. You know, it's, it doesn't make sense. But yet, he was the one. How I many of you know, you can never name God because he has authority over us. God has a name. 
And we can never give God names. And we can never call God names. Yet some people nowadays make their own gods and they call God, their God, by a different name. It's either, you know, they call him, you know, the alcoholic God or the drug God or the materialistic God or whatever. They have their own sets of gods and different gods that they worship. But yet, when you talk about the real God, the God that we serve, His name is what? I am who I am. He's so passionate about this name. You know, His proper name is Yahweh. And that is, you know, we're going to talk about that more in a while. But yet, we can never ever give or create a name for God because He already has a name. Why is God so sensitive about His name? In fact, the third commandment is the only commandment where there is an immediate threat of punishment. Out of the ten, it's already written there, attached to the commandment, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. There's only one commandment also wherein there's an attached promise and blessing, which is the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long and it may go well with you in the land of the Lord God is giving you. And so, but this command is the only command among the ten that has an immediate threat of punishment. It says in the Good News Bible, I will punish anyone who what? Misuses my name. And how do we misuse the name of God? We're going to talk about that later on. In the ESV version, it says, I will not hold him guiltless who takes my name or his name in vain. Ten commandments here, and yet there's this one that is talking about the good reputation and character of God. Because you know, when we talk about the name of God, it talks about His character. The name of God reflects His attributes. The name of God reflects his reputation. That's why you are not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. There's another commandment actually among the ten that is also about names or reputation and it's commandment number nine. Okay, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor because he's supposed to protect his name. We've been singing this song earlier. You know, Jesus, name above all names. My question for us today is, do we really know the power of the name of Christ? The power of the name of Jesus is more than just a prayer that you utter as an ending statement in Jesus' name. Because many times what we do is, we flippantly use the name Jesus and replace a cuss word, and then instead of saying SH something, you just use the word Jesus. Or Jesus, Mario Josep, something like that. Sinama pa yung tatay at nanay. But yet, when you look at how this name was elevated, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 says, Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Really, what he has done for us, he sacrificed his life, he humbled himself. And the previous verses to this talks about him leaving heaven, became a human being, a servant just like us, so that he can go to the cross and actually sacrifice his life so that you and I can be saved. And then it says after that, therefore, everybody say therefore. You know, when you read this word therefore, you have to find what, why is it therefore? Because, you know, Jesus gave his life, 
he humbled himself. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And we know this scripture. In earth and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, the Bible says, He who humbles himself will be exalted, but he who exalts himself will be humbled. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble one. Jesus himself is the model of humility. When he went to the cross, died for our sins, and that's why God elevated him. And this name Jesus is so significant. You read Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the first time that he was given the name Jesus. And the angel said, you shall give him the name Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus comes from the Hebrew word uh, Yeshua, which means the Lord is our salvation. He is the only one by which we can be saved. There is definitely power in the name of Jesus. Do you believe that? You know, there's protection in the name of Jesus. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, that the name of the Lord is like a strong tower and the righteous run to it and they are safe. You know, when you're in trouble, when you're bewildered, when you have problems, how many of you know that no matter how much storm comes your way, you can always run to Jesus and you are safe? He is a shield to those who run to Him. The name of Jesus gives us victory against all odds. Remember the time when David was against this guy named Goliath? And he was saying, you know, he was, are you coming with me with sticks? And, you know, Goliath was basically taunting David. You know, you're just a boy. And what was the response of David? David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. Remember that? But I come to you against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. He was calling upon the name of God to help him with his slingshot because the name of the Lord is the one that gives us victory and not our own earthly weapons. Amen. And many times, you know, we go into a situation, you know, and we think, oh, I think it's about my connection or I think it's about my talent or I think it's about my, my background or I think it's about, you know, my GPA when I was in college or, you know, whatever it is. If we continue to depend on the things that are from this world, how many of you know that we will be frustrated? But if we put our trust in the name of Jesus, He's going to be the one that will give us victory. Amen? Can we just give the Lord praise this afternoon? The name of Jesus gives us healing. You know, and Conrad was talking about that earlier in Acts chapter 3 in the, in the temple when Peter and John was moving in and there's this beggar who was crippled. You know, he was asking for money and he, they said, Silver and gold have I none, but what we do have, we give to you. And what do they have? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And boom, miracle happened. Healing comes from the name of Jesus. And guess what? We've seen healings and we've seen miracles happen before our very eyes by using the name of Jesus. Amen? Deliverance comes from the name of Jesus. The Bible says in Mark chapter 16, you know, in my name, they will drive out demons. And the demons will obey. You should not be afraid of demons. Look at the person beside you. And tell that person, don't be afraid. Yeah, hindi naman siya demon. But in the name of Jesus, we have power over demonic forces. 
Of course, we know that ultimately Jesus came so that He can save man from their sins. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else because there's only one name under heaven by which we can be saved. And what is that name? Jesus. We can only be saved through the person of Jesus Christ. Not by following the Ten Commandments. That's the good news. The Ten Commandments is meant so that we can be conscious that we need a Savior. And Jesus was given to us so that He can provide salvation. And by trusting in Him, can only we be saved. Not by doing a lot of other stuff. In other words, why is God so passionate about His name? Number one is because of relationships. His relationship with God. God is a God of relationship. And in fact, He related to us as a father. Jesus taught His disciples, when you pray, pray this way. Don't pray, O celestial being of the universe up there in the sky. You know, He didn't say that, but what did He say? He said, Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name. And he was magnifying the name of his Father. In fact, I believe Jesus Christ came not only to reveal himself to us, but to reveal the ministry of the Father to us. He was the one who was only rightful to call God Abba. And Abba is actually a term of endearment that you call to your daddy. You know, if you translate it into like, you know, local things, calling God Abba is like saying Papa God. If you call your daddy papa. How many of you call your pa- daddy papa? Daddy papa. Uh, father as papa. Okay. Anybody here? Okay. How about daddy? How about local? Itai. Okay. Or tai. Apa. Opa. It, opa. Whatever. Okay. It's a term of endearment. And when you talk about God, who is, you know, the Jews do not want to go near God because they look at Him and they think that God is the one who created everything and that He is a God who judges, which was true, but yet He is a Father to us. And it's a term of endearment. That's why Jesus took the time to address that. And He said this, right? I am who I am. Every time you see this word, I am, it's not about Him pressing His right to be ruler over us, but it's always about Him wanting to meet our needs. And He said this, I am whom you need me to be at that particular moment in your life. That's why when Jesus introduced Himself as I am, He is basically saying, the Father and me, we are one. I am who I am. And He said this, I am the bread of life. And I am the light of the world. And I am the door of the sheep. And I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and life. And I am the true vine. And every time we see this word, I am, it's about Him, you know, meeting our needs and fulfilling His promises to us. I am who I am means I am whom I am. I will be. It's not about us dictating Him whom He needs to be. It's about Him determining when we need something and He's there to meet our needs. Amen. How many of you God is faithful to all of us every single day? You know, when you talk about His name, it also talks about rights. Everybody say rights. You know, if you go to Ayala Country Club, 
or Baby Pumps Country Club, and if your dad is a member, and if you're still part of the membership, how many of you know that because you have the same surname, you have the right to go inside and use the facility and eat, and you know, hopefully your dad also pays for the bill, right? But anyway, so that's one purpose of the name. God's given us rights. You know, last election, if you've registered and if you want to vote, you've got to go to the electoral register or whatever, okay? The, the, the school, something, okay? And you check your names there. If your name is there, you have the right to vote because your name is written there, okay? And in the same way, God has given us rights. Rights for what? Rights to become a child of God. Can you imagine that? In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Yet to all who received Him, to all who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. It talks about redemption. It talks about adoption. It talks about a new family. It talks about salvation and forgiveness. You know, the angels in heaven cannot comprehend this promise of sonship. Remember Lucifer? The beautiful angel who was worshiping the Lord and he committed one sin and he was thrown out of heaven because of one sin together with a third of all the billions of angels. One sin. And he was kicked out of heaven. Now how many of you have committed more than one sin? Please raise your hand in your whole life. How many of you are thankful that you have not been kicked out of earth yet? Because God has given us a certain grace which is so different from the way the angels live. And they've actually called God holy, 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 holy. This is written in the book of Revelation. And yet we call our God Father, 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 Father. Because we are sons and daughters of God. Amen. What a privilege. Can we just give the Lord praise for that? No other religion on this planet has offered sonship. It's all about do this and do that. Live a moral life. Obey this, obey that. If you can, if you do, if you can do this, you're going to the abyss. But Christianity is different. God is offering sonship to all of us. Ultimately, Jesus is coming back for us as a glorious bride. If your name is God, then you have the right to tell people what to do and also to rule the planet. Of course, because you are God. That's what's part of the name. In fact, God has a big book in heaven. Someday we'll see that book. And it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And in that book are names. And if your name is not written in that Lamb's Book of Life, you cannot enter heaven. Only those whose names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life will have the access to go to heaven. My question for us today is, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? To those who receive Him, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. How are we to treat the third commandment? We're to revere the name of God. We're commanded to honor and revere the name of God. Psalm 29 verse 2, it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory to His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. In fact, the biblical scholars and the early fathers, when they would 
transcribe the Word of God into a scroll. They revere the name of the Lord so much that they are so careful to write the ultimate name of God, which is Yahweh. Everybody say Yahweh. And that is the name of God. You know, every time they would write that name, they would actually have to get a new pen. And they would write the name Yahweh with this pen. And after writing the name Yahweh, they would throw that pen because they have to use another pen to write the rest of the verse of the scrolls. And after writing the name Yahweh, they have to go through a cleansing rite. Take a bath. I don't know what they're, you know, whatever, okay? Take a, you know, ritual bath. And then go back to work and then continue writing the scroll. Can you imagine if, it, if it's one verse, there's 30 names of Yahweh, how long it will take for them to finish that scroll. It took them years. That's how much they revere the name of the Lord. And yet nowadays, we just flippantly use the name of the Lord. I, Jesus. I, Jesus. What do said. OMG. You know, we say, we say uh, oh my God. Gulai, whatever, okay? And you say the name of the Lord and you actually take the name of the Lord in vain because we don't know what that means. When we speak something, there's so much power there. In fact, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. ESV version. In the message translation, it says, No using the name of God, your God, in what? Curses or silly banter. God won't put up with the irreverent use of His name. You know, when you look at the Ten Commandments, it's always about, you know, every commandment has two sides. When you have, when you say, do not commit adultery, it really means be faithful to your wife. When you talk about do not murder, it means you have to value human life. When you talk about do not steal, it means you have to be generous. When it says, do not covet your neighbor's goods or wife, it means that you've got to be grateful for what you have. In the same way, when it says, do not use the name of the Lord your God in vain, it means you are to revere the name of God into the highest level because vanity is always going to be punished by the irreverent use of the name of God. I want you to talk about vanity. Vain means emptiness of speech, falsehood, Lying, deceptive, uselessness, disrespectful, and dishonorable. You know, using the name Jesus' name, Jesus' name, and Jesus' name, you know, sometimes without even thinking, we just use that. If you hate your boss, I hate my boss in Jesus' name. You know, so, you know whatever. It's, I hate the traffic in Jesus' name. You know, you know sometimes we just flippantly say, you, are, you look like the devil in Jesus' name. You know, it, it, we, we have to be careful in using the name of Jesus or any other name of God, for that matter. We are to revere that name. And it's not about just us speaking that name, but it's also about us representing that name. When you communicate and when you say something, that's one thing. But when you act out and live your life, it's another thing. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, that we are ambassadors of Christ that we represent Him, that we are the representatives of Christ. In fact, the very first time that Christians was mentioned in the Bible was in the church of Antioch. And it says in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the disciples were called what? Christians first at Antioch. 
Initially, they were called disciples, followers of the way, you know, uh, disciples of Christ. But the, the time that they were called Christians was when they were in Antioch because the people there was noticing something. They live a different lifestyle. They live a certain code. They, they live a certain morality that when they say, wow, these guys are amazing. These are Christians. My question for us today is, do people in your office or in your school know you are Christians because of the way you live your life? Do they know? And you have given them a clue that, you know, I am a Christian. I am, a, you know, I, I have a conviction against this particular uh, situation or, you know, this transaction. If you're an accountant of that company, you know, is it just about you saying yes to your boss or you got to speak up? If you have like maybe two or three or four or five books. Hello? Do people know you're a Christian? Or do they say, Christian ka pala? Ang galing mo magtago ah. Hindi halata. I mean, can you imagine if people would say that to us? Hindi ka halatang Christian. I mean, whoa. I mean, how do you live your life? How do we represent Christ? If people don't even notice our Christianity. In fact, when you talk about ministering to our loved ones or maybe your family members. Maybe some of us still have family members who are not yet saved. Before they open, they open the Bible, you are the first Bible that they actually are reading. We are living epistles, the Bible says. Whatever it is that we speak, they're going to check our life. Is what he is preaching consistent to what he is living? Or do we see a disparity in what he's saying and how it is that he is living his life. Are we properly representing Christ in our workplace? When we are the boss, are we setting a good example for our employees? If we are the employees, are we thankful to the Lord and are we doing the things that are entrusted to us with utmost excellence because we are ultimately accountable to God? In our household, our helpers, do they know we're Christians? That when you invite them to church, will they say, Yes, sir, kasi talagang matagal ko na hinihintay. You know, I was really observing your life and you know, I, I get convicted every time you pray on the table and you, know, you treat your wife like this or you treat your children like this, something like that. Or will they say, Hindi ko nakikita, sir, eh. Kasi puro kayo sigaw, tsaka puro kayo away, tsaka you know, you, know you, you do this and you treat us like slaves. Do we represent Christ well in our home? How do we take the name of the Lord in vain not only through our words, but even in the way we live? Colossians chapter 3 verse 7, and whatever, everybody say whatever, with an emphasis, okay? Whatever, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In fact, if you cannot do it in Jesus' name, you can't do it because it's not honorable to Him. You know, serving Him is not only coming to church on Sundays. And we don't just do this, whatever. It says, whatever you do. It didn't just say, okay, if you go to church, do it in the name of Jesus. If you go to the prayer meeting, do it in the name of Jesus. If you go to the worship night, do it in the name of Jesus. No, it says here, whether in word or deed. In fact, whatever it is that we're doing, 
Do it in the name of Jesus. We don't just become Christians on Sundays. But tomorrow, what happens tomorrow when we go to the office? Are we doing it in the name of Jesus? When we treat our clients, are we doing it in the name of Jesus? Are we honorable? And are we serving the Lord? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19 says, The Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. God knows the genuine from the fake. It doesn't mean that if you're coming to church, you're automatically a Christian, isn't it? It doesn't mean that if you're wearing a nice Christian t-shirt, I am a Christian and I love it. You know, automatically it tells us if we're a Christian, doesn't, you know, even if you have all the bumper stickers in the world at the back of your car that talks about Jesus loves you or whatever, if you drive like the devil, <laughs> it doesn't become a good testimony as well. You know, if you go to McDonald's, it doesn't turn you into a hamburger. In the same way, if you go to church, it doesn't automatically turn you into a Christian. The Lord knows those who are His. And we've got to represent Jesus well if you're Christians, followers of Jesus. Matthew 15, verse 8. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In fact, this talks about not just the things that we do, but also about the condition of our heart. In other words, how do we revere the name of Christ? And how do we not take the Lord's name in vain? By being careful in using His name with utmost honor. Because the name of Jesus is everything that we need. In the name of Jesus, we have healing, we have power, we have provision. In the name of Jesus, we have salvation. And at the same time, we need to live our lives that will reflect Jesus because we are His ambassadors and we are His representatives. Let's be ambassadors for Him, not an embarrassment to Him. And I hope that we will take this seriously because I believe that we are the link to God by a dying world out there. And if we are not seen as Christians in the way we live our lives, in fact, I remember this quote from Mahatma Gandhi. And he said this, Jesus I like, His teachings I like, but His disciples I do not like. Because I do not see them obeying the teachings of their founder. Would, be able, would we be able to minister to a dying world, to the world out there by the way we live our life? And I believe that when you talk about the name of Christ, it's the way we carry ourselves, our confession, in words and in our deeds as we represent God 